Well, good day, everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of the Sacrificial Succession podcast. We're back again with Paul Rattray. Paul, welcome. Episode Thank 11, you. and we're really getting up there in these, which is really good. So today's topic is dignified indignity. And um, actually, I just said to you before, I feel like I'm in an episode of The Crown with all these words, dignified indignity. And the verse uh, for today is 2 Corinthians 12, 9. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And you talk about Sir Francis Bacon. Paul, who is Sir Francis Bacon? Because we referred to him last week. And I'm sure some people have heard the name, but are not sure about who he is. So let's let's yeah. do a quick history lesson. Yeah, so he's a great um, English um, philosopher. Um, dabbled a little in theology as well. Um, and so, he, you know, his thinking is very much uh, in the practical as well. He was involved in, in government. He was involved, um, you know, high levels uh, with leaders. And so his insights, I think, are very practical. And this was is one of those that um, it's through indignities that men and women come to dignity. And we, you know, if we think about that, um, it doesn't quite make sense. Hence my <laughs> title, you know, dignified indignity. It doesn't make sense. Cause we, we talk a lot today about dignity. People must have dignity. Um, and that is, it's a really good point. The point he makes is that it's often going through things that would appear to be undignified and make us undignified make us weak make us nothing is that we actually become stronger for it and i think that's the point that the great apostles making in this verse he didn't choose the weakness that he had whatever that weakness is you know some suggest that he may have had a mental illness. Um, You know, he obviously, if you look at, you know, he talks about writing in big writing, maybe he had, you know, he he couldn't see properly. We don't know what it was, but we know that he didn't want the weakness that he had. He talks about a thorn. Um, And we, from which, you know, we get an English saying, thorn in my flesh or thorn in my side. Um, so we know that there was something significant that impeded him, a significant indignity, but he saw that through that indignity, um, it made him strong. And I think the greatest indignity is the uh, sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, you know, on a cross. That was the greatest indignity the the Jewish people of the time just couldn't come to terms with that um, terrible indignity and yet we know by rising again and being victorious that uh, indignity became the greatest dignity and uh, that is also what uh, Francis or Sir Francis Bacon is touching on here and so you know when we talk about sacrificial succession it actually means the leader is being undignified by handing over 
and by doing something that is not expected of them. Or as Junior says, who came uh, and talked with us in one of the podcasts, he says it weakens. We need to understand that sacrificial succession actually weakens the leader who is sacrificing their leadership. But in doing so, it ultimately strengthens them. And I think uh, of equal importance, it also strengthens the successors. So it's really saying, okay, I'm going to make a choice here. It's, it's not all about me. It's about God's purposes or plans for this organization. It's about others. I'm going to lower myself for a season for this to make way for others to come up and to train them and to work with them uh, to see all this come about. Yeah. And I mean, you know, Paul, the other Paul, <laughs> not yeah. this one. Yeah, yeah. He says, um, my strength is made perfect. Yes. In weakness. So yeah. he's not suggesting that, you know, becoming weak is just to become, you know, uh, you, you you can't do anything. He he says that it becomes a strength. Yes. Um, and I think that that's a really important principle to understand. And it's something that we learned in our projects was that when you weaken yourself, you sacrifice yourself and you hand over to people who are not uh, regarded perhaps as ideal successors, that actually strengthens them. And in strengthening them, it actually strengthens us because it strengthens the foundations of what otherwise can be a very chaotic um, situation uh, in transition. And I mean, we're not just talking about the succession of leaders necessarily in a huge, you know, thinking it's just the top leaders. They're the only important ones, which is often what the literature tends to suggest. This is a mindset, obviously, that flows down through the entire organization. Yeah. Um, and it, when you think about the statistics that 90% or so of the younger generation, Gen Y, don't have much intention of staying beyond three years. If you look at the statistics, that's what they tell us. Um, they're not highly committed to the organization. Uh, that's just a reality. And so um, not having this mindset of preparing people and this willingness to sacrifice on their behalf um, ultimately is going to bear the fruit um, that, it's exactly what companies and organizations don't want. And yes. that is not having anyone who can replace people who leave. Yes. Which is a, an issue. And we're talking before, you know, my daughter has been headhunted. She's only been in an organization for a year and um, she's decided to go with the new people because, well, it's more money, it's more opportunity, all that kind of stuff, which is out there. And hey, th this is actually a. Um, it's the reality in the market at the moment, particularly here in, in Australia, because we we don't have the people for the positions. And so many businesses that I know just can't find people at the moment. So headhunting is going to happen an awful lot. Um, and they're going to offer whatever they need to offer to entice people to come. But it's it's knowing that that's going to take place and having plans in place for that as well. 
Yeah, well, it's also a mindset that's unsustainable. And at the moment in Australia, it's completely unsustainable because there are not enough people within the job market to be able to simply source people and say, okay, well, that's fine. So-and-so's left. Um, We just get another person because there's people lining up to do the work. Yeah, It's not working in any of the industries. You look at an industry like farming. Yeah. um, they can't get enough people to pick their fruit. No. Um, and this is happening across the board. So unless we're preparing people who can um, be replacements and take over, um, then we're just going to continue this cycle of never being able to have enough people yes. to do the jobs that need to be done. And more importantly, not providing that rich, um, you know, personal input and relationship into other people's lives, which, you know, if, if say, for example, with your daughter, if she starts doing this young, she's going to continue doing that. And if she continues climbing up the corporate ladder, then that's going to be part of the way that she puts things into practice when she reaches more senior positions. If not, then she just continues the culture that has always been. And that is, oh, well, uh, we'll just find someone else to replace. Yeah. And that yes. we've found in the places where we've worked, as you know, uh, much more difficult, much harder places to operate than, say, in Australia. It's not an option because there's not, there are not people who yeah. are easy to find, yes. to replace. Yeah. We've yeah. got to, you know, we've got to develop them. We've got to prepare them. We've got to make sure that they've got the heart and the character for the job. And none of that happens by just saying, oh, we'll get someone else. <laughs> it, 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 it can be, it, it's a very easy fallback position, but there is a cost to that as well. Like, and, and you and I had a very uh, intense discussion about that a couple of podcasts ago, but it's, um, there is a cost of replacing people and finding someone, training them up, um, uh, for corporates who use um, recruiters, like the literal cost of recruiting somebody else, but even if that's in-house, like the time and effort and things that that takes to do that is quite... Um, is quite it awful. is. It is. And, you know, we had this discussion earlier about the cost. And it's like, oh, well, it costs too much to, you know, be investing in people as part of our work role well let's think about it this way if you're not doing that then that cost has to be an extra cost on top of what they're paying you anyway and what they're paying all their workers we're going to put an extra cost yeah on this and then we're still going to argue but it actually costs less than building the uh, it doesn't make sense to me yeah (laughs) it's true it's so true okay so so Paul, let's let's talk about Matthew twenty one to sixteen, which illustrates how leadership norms can be turned around through positive discrimination. And you use the word, and we've talked about discrimination in the past, but positive discrimination from the first always coming first to the last coming first through the unmerited sacrificial favor of equal payment and opportunity. Yeah, well, if you look at the parable, and that you know. Uh, in the first session that we had together, I explained that that parable really became my my sort of aha moment, my epiphany, yes. because 
uh, in verse 16, after giving this example of, you know, the people who started first, and it's interesting, it was only the people who started first that negotiated one denarius or a day's wages. The others didn't. They said, pay us what's fair. Very interesting. So the ones who came first had the highest expectations. Yes. And then they agreed, they negotiated. What they didn't like was that at the end of the day, they didn't come first in terms of being paid what they'd agreed uh, on together. So there was a negotiated settlement that they didn't like. And secondly, they didn't like the fact that those who came last were paid the same amount as they were, even though it wasn't any of their business. That's right. Really, because they'd already negotiated what was fair and agreed to it. Yes. And so we often see this. This is a mindset and this is an attitude. And the two things are we who come first should be remunerated. And I don't just necessarily mean with money, with honor. You must come first. You've got the most experience. You've struggled the lot, as they said in the parable. We've worked through the heat of the day. We've stuck at it. What are you doing with these people that have come last? How come they're being given the same opportunity? And for me, the aha moment was when we were in East Timor, we had to to understand that the last were our successors as the indigenous people of that country. Were they of the same caliber of of the foreign uh, leaders that we had? No. Was it Timothy and Titus the same caliber of Paul? No, absolutely not. No chance. Um, Were they the right people to be put first? Yes. What did that mean? It meant that Paul had to put himself last. It meant that our guys and gals in East Timor had to put themselves last. In all of our projects, it meant that we had to put people last and that included by the way remuneration as i said in the first one where one of the guys in uh, myanmar that we worked with that was his biggest struggle was he said well it means that i'm having to sacrifice some of the support that i'm being given for my successor and i said exactly (laughs) that's right because you can finish now if you want and get no support yes or you can continue and share that support. Yeah, and, yeah. and he couldn't believe the success that this guy had because he was much more like a Paul, his predecessor, yeah. and then his successor was much more like a Timothy or Titus. Yeah. And he just punched through and did incredible things in that place. And he said, you know, I tried hard and I thought that I was much better in selling and marketing than this young guy but he proved me wrong yeah but he said i prepared him you know so he did the the right thing he just wasn't never thought about the fact that he should be handing over see it's really it's a huge mindset change isn't it because this is the way that we've probably been raised this is the way things have always been done but now you're saying okay hang on a minute you've got to you've got to think about others before you think about yourself and, yeah. and yes, you're still being taken care of. Like, you know, you're still being paid. You've still got the position. You've still got the job, all that. But 
it's about having a long-term view about what's going on. It's having a long-term view and it's seeing yourself in the, um, in, in the, in the right stages of a transition. Yeah. And, you know, it's really interesting there if you study some of the words that are used in Matthew chapter 20, um, words like logos, being a slave, being a servant, viewing what you do in that lens, no matter what your position, that is your role, is to serve that next generation. The diakonos, from which we get deacons, that idea of serving through your leadership, the word that is used there about sacrifice, very interestingly, at the end of that passage is the word latron. Latron is a word that was used to, it's about paying the price to free a slave. Very interesting because it was a payment and that payment had to be made by a mediator, someone who negotiated with the slave owner on behalf of the slave that had to, in a sense, broker that payment. That's the sacrifice that needs to be made. Now, we're, this is often read theologically and spiritually, and it is a wonderful, wonderful truth, that sacrifice that Jesus made. But it's interesting that Jesus says to his disciples, you're to do this just as I've done it. Yeah. Now, he is not talking about the spiritual sacrifice that he's made. He's talking about the practical sacrifice of leadership that he's made. You need to go and do what I've done to continue this on. And then, of course, the last word that's often used there for the Holy Spirit, parakletos, it's the one who guides, the one who teaches, the one who reminds. These are important stages that leaders need to go through in the transition. And we often don't even conceive of a transition as looking like that. A transition is I keep going until I get told to stop and then I go, or the opposite is I go as long as I can to get as much as I can out of the situation. Even if I'm serving, let's be clear, not talking about the heart, um, and then I go when I feel it's most beneficial for me. Um, and neither of those approaches are most beneficial for the successors. And so this is what positive discrimination is. The world has a go at it, but the world tends to get it wrong because what it says is positive discrimination is all about giving those people that are discriminated against a, you know, an extra leg up if you like now actually there's nothing wrong with that but it's important to be able to identify who those last actually are and this is again something we learned in our projects because the last are often those people that are not on the list yes you know yes they're people from a different ethnic group yes And in a country where there's been ethnic conflict, perfectly understandable, you're not going to choose 
someone from a group that has been your enemy for yeah. centuries. Yeah. That is very much sacrificial. Um, and so these are principles that we can apply within our leadership and within our organizations that we often don't. But to me, it's always asking that question, who is the last, you know, as in who is the last in my sphere of leadership or in my sphere of influence? I need to be intentionally preparing those people to be first. And this parable is just so awesome in presenting that because it's not just paying them equally it's actually paying them first it's very important because we're talking here about chronology you know we're talking about a time frame and in this parable in the time frame those who work the last and least are put first they've been positively discriminated in favor of those people and those who came first did not like that yeah and no one likes it let's be honest but that that is really the if you like the secret or the key to orderly chaos that yeah. we talked about in our last session see paul the whole time this is going on the organization is growing work is getting done You've got more people in the harvest going out, like, you know, the parable here, the vineyard, like there was more people. There was, there was a lot of work to be done. And sometimes, so if we, if we have a limited view of what the succession looks like, we're actually um, shrinking the organization in a lot of ways, whereas this is actually growing it and extending it. And while you're laying yourself down, it's actually for a bigger cause. to take. That's right. It's very insightful, Wes, because if you look at the parable, he's not just saying, look, um, I'm very sorry that you have been marginalized. Um, yeah. I would like to give you some money. No, what he's saying is, what are you guys doing here in the marketplace when there's actually work to be yeah. done? Yeah. I need this work done. Yes. Um, and so he, they're like, yeah, okay, we, you know, we, we want to have an opportunity. This gives people a tremendous opportunity. And when you give people opportunity and hope, we have found that nine times out of 10, they are going to be loyal and trustworthy. There's always Judas's. We'll get to yes, that. Yes, yes. But they are going to be loyal and trustworthy because they have been given an opportunity that they have never been given before. And that's exactly what these guys um, in the marketplace were. They say, pay us whatever, because the fact that you're giving us a chance that we don't normally get, hey, we're going to jump in and get that. You know, and if you're a young person, I'm sure you can remember back. Uh, I can. You know, experience required. How am I going to get experience yes. if I'm not given experience? I know. You know, and you get put into a job and it's like, go on, go for it. Um, so these are all things that we can learn from this principle. And these are all the things that we've learned in the projects, you know. And when people say to me, well, you know, you're talking about, in many cases, third world countries. Um, yes, I am. There are examples that we've given about 
how that's happened here in Australia too and in other places around the world that are not third world countries because the same principles apply. The way that you deal with people by putting the last first and putting the first last and being willing to do that for the right reasons is going to, it'll get the same results and outcomes no matter where you are, whether you're a highly developed economy or a fairly uh, lowly developed economy that's, you know, just, we've seen it happen in all places. And we're talking large numbers, as you know, you know yeah, our organization. Yes, 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 we're yes. talking thousands upon yes, thousands yes, of successes. Yes, we're yes. not talking about one or two. See, see, this is the thing is I, I think people can be so small-minded in their thinking in this. They're saying, but isn't that one of the issues, though, in transition uh, and succession is that you're holding on too tightly to what you've got. You're afraid to let it go because of what you think you're going to miss out on. But yet actually in the letting go, there is a multiplication that takes place, which is really what you're talking about. And in the long run, run, your name is going to actually be honored more because of look, look, look at what you allowed as you worked with God and allowed the spirit of God to work and move and to build up others. This is what happened as a result. Yeah. And that, that we've touched on this verse in 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 a previous podcast but that is you know your sons and daughters will replace their fathers they will succeed them is is the wording in some of the verses and it goes on to say and your name will be remembered yeah, yeah. throughout all generations now uh this particular psalm uh is understood to be a prophecy about jesus christ but it's also again a very fine um, and practical principle of succession. How are you remembered for more than one generation by how you invested in the next generation and the next? That's how you're remembered. Not you won't be remembered for making a massive amount of money, <laughs> but you will be remembered for how well you invested in the next generation, including your own children. Exactly. And they will remember you and go on. Um, but that I, I'm actually very conscious today is three years since my grandmother, we, we buried her and, uh, you know, she was over a hundred and I look at the legacy that was left behind because of her. And even, um, it was fascinating because we have good friends, your funeral directors. And I said, look, we had over 400 at the funeral. And they said, that's very unusual for someone over a hundred to have such a large funeral. And I said, but she was such a giving person. She gave and gave and gave and gave and sacrificed so others could. And and so I was just thinking about that as you're talking about this. Um, and and I know others who held on too long. So the pain around them leaving in their transition even meant that they weren't honoured the way that they should have been honoured for the work that they were done. And Absolutely. So, yes. And I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because what you're saying is that those people who held on to their dignity the most strongly, they were actually the ones that had the least dignity at the end. Yes. That's, that's the reality. And those who didn't hold on to their dignity, they were the ones that were um, remembered most um, for their dignity. So they were in a sense, undignified, 
or had suffered perhaps some indignity through their actions, but they were the most dignified. And to me, that's a really powerful example that you mentioned about your grandmother. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I think so. So this is, um, Paul, one of the things is the issues that we don't have too many examples of this to have a look to. We see a lot of other examples of where people are held on or they went too soon or they had to leave because of something that they shouldn't have done. Um, but we haven't got too many examples of people who actually applied this and put it into practice. Yeah. And I mean, the, the fact, <laughs> I, I say this a little facetiously, but um, I think you'll get the, the sort of the truth behind it. The fact that we have to go back to the Bible to find the best examples, um, you know, to me says that this is something that we still need to learn in our time just as much as any other generation and perhaps more because we have within our hands the tools to impact so many more people in our day. You know, if you think about Paul had the Roman road, the next generations um, had the printing press, we're in the digital age when our ability to impact people is exponentially larger than what any of those who've come before us have. The only question is, what is the sort of legacy that we're going to leave behind? Yeah. Is it going to be one of dignity? Or is it actually going to be one of indignity because we didn't do the job that we were called to do with the tools that we had? Um, We've got all sorts of leadership material, you know, as Paul the Apostle says, you know, you have 10,000 instructors. These days, it's probably a million. Yes. Um, how many fathers and mothers do you have? Yes. Those that are investing in you as the next generation for them. Um, I would say quite small in terms of numbers. Uh, and so for me, that has always been a, a great challenge for me personally, um, but also uh, in running projects in places where this is an absolute critical need. You know, it's not an option of, well, we'll go on to seek website and develop a little profile of the person that we need. No, we need a hundred of these and we can't rely and we don't want to rely on seek Yes. And whatever algorithms they have running yes. to identify people, um, this is not a dating service. No. We want to have children of our predecessors who they know and they've prepared and we can vouch for their um, ability to take over because we know them well enough to do so. You know, Paul... Um... You know, we do some listening prayer events every week. And just recently, one of them felt God say to him that I am the God of multiplication because after all, I created multiplication. And, and, and I keep coming back to that. And I think really what we're saying is that God wants us to be people of multiplication and doing that. And he, he's a very generational God. He talks in generations on both a negative side, but a positive side. So the fact that you're using the terms father and mother, um, but some people don't know what it is to have a good father and mother, like in the natural, let alone to see that take place in, say, a work environment 
or a ministry environment, which you're talking about as well. That's so one of the big issues that we face today, you know, in the West, um, is that the breakdown of the family unit means that people don't understand or they understand this concept perhaps less than any of the recent generations before them. It has to be retaught. Absolutely. And it's even even just being um, you being an advocate for somebody else, standing up for someone else, helping them, working with them, preparing the way for them, connecting them to others, um, looking at their training needs. Hang on a minute. You're, you're really good at this skill, but let's, let's help you with this or this is your strength. Let's make sure you operate in your strength and going forward and, and seeing you called out which yep. is really what you're talking about. Absolutely. Here. You know, and again, uh, any, you know, anyone who's listening who might be thinking, well, that's all very well, um, you know, but you don't understand how busy I am or whatever. Well, just let me remind you once again, we're talking about situations in countries that have been torn about, apart by war, where people have been ethnic enemies. In other words, that they're the people that have fought each other in civil wars, and yet they've been able to come together and yeah. been able to prepare successes from uh, these ethnic groups that have been their enemies and do it very effectively and successfully. Why? Because they've chosen to love people. They've chosen that indignity. Um, and that has made them dignified. And I think it, part of it is going back and thinking very carefully and sort of meditating you know, what is it that um, is, you know, what's my, how is my personal dignity defined? Because that's going to influence the way that you respond to this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and is your, is what you view dignity being, is that actually sacrificing for others, especially in terms of thinking about the next generation, the people that are going to, if it's not, part of what you view um then most likely your personal identity of what dignity means is actually coming first irrespective of what your heart might be telling you your head <laughs> is actually putting yourself first in all situations yeah and i you you know when you're saying uh, I'm too busy to be doing this. Actually, that's exactly why, isn't it? Because if you actually step back, a leader's role is really about encouraging others and building others up so that the work is grown and done. And and you can be the biggest bottleneck of all that. But taking the time, like you said, to think about it and process it and even laying down some projects or some uh, personal things for a season of time so that you can build others up. Often you'll see your vision come to pass more quickly uh, in doing You that. will. And this is, this is an organisational thing because if the organisation is unwilling to see this paradigm shift, it's very difficult then for just one individual person. It can be done, but they need to understand that this reallocation or, of time 
in terms of investment in people, it does take time away from other things, but it reaps dividends over time. And like, um, I remember my first job, uh, I, you know, as the accountant or the finance person, often you're the keeper of all the records of stuff that happened. And I had to go back and look at some stuff. And there was some, uh, my CEO had been there 10 years, I think at that time. And I looked back at some of the original stuff that she had put to the board back at that time. And it was only coming to fruition during my time. And, and I, I often talked to her about that. She said, yes, but whereas we had to plant the seed, we had to build this, we had to get over some financial hurdles here, and we had to build the team. But I look at some of the stuff that we put in place there and what are we 25 years down the track? And I see that stuff growing and building and multiplying um, now, but it just took time. And sometimes I think we, we want to get in and get this done really quickly, but we need it to- It does take time and it takes vision. Because it's interesting, you know, if you look at some of the criticisms that were made of the uh, Apostle Paul, was perhaps if you look at in terms of management and the way organizations are run, what they were saying is he's not a very good manager because, you know, they said he doesn't water things enough. You know, you're not, you're not a very good speaker in spiritual terms. You're not baptizing many people. You're not a very good pastor. And his response is very strongly that, you know, I see things differently. Yeah. You know, I'm the one that plants seeds. Apollos, he's doing the watering. He'll continue to manage things that I planted the seeds. And as he says, like a master builder, not just a builder, but like a master builder, I'm the one that's building a foundation. So a strong building can be built on those foundations. He has the vision for it, but what he understands is his role as a pioneer, as starting something off, it's to build the foundations and then make sure that there are people who can continue the work on, like Apollos, like Timothy, like Titus. They can continue doing a better job in their particular time, because as you mentioned, and as you well know, organizations go through phases. They do. When you're planting seeds and building something, it's different to when you need to manage that and grow that in a way that it will become much more sustainable. It's quite a different phase in the life cycle of a business. But um, to suggest that building those foundations is unimportant um, is absolute madness. Yeah. <laughs> right. if, if they're not right, this whole thing is going to come tumbling down yeah. very, very quickly. And and yeah. and maybe that's one of the reasons why we've seen some organisations implode because of that kind of thing as well. We do. And, you know, we only have to look in the third world where building regulations, you know, the foundations are not strong and all sorts of things happen. Or, you know, tragically what happened in Miami recently where there were foundational issues in that high rise that collapsed and some people identified them, but they weren't taken seriously enough as structural issues. And I'm sure they will be in future or, you know, um, in here in Australia as well, after the, there were some bridge collapses in the United States, there was a whole process of going and looking, did we get those foundations right in the first place? And a lot of them needed to be repaired because those foundations were no longer viable. No, that's right. 
And it's the same in what we're talking about here. You know, I, I think in many organizations, the foundations are not viable and perhaps we're not viable in the first place. And so we need to revisit that. And go back. So we've gone on a bit long today, which is great for, we've had a great discussion. But I think one of the key things to this is it's actually time to maybe to sit down and take, take time, have a look, um, consider what's going on. Do you, what kind of rearrangements do you need to make personally as a leader to say, okay, I'm going to choose to be undignified as in the words of today, in order for others to become dignified um, in this. Yeah. And I mean, you're an accountant, so you understand what a financial audit is all about. Yeah. Um, I studied management systems and I was a management systems auditor. What we need to do here is do a successional audit yeah. and see, have we actually built those foundations? And I talk a little bit about that in, in, in the book, um, looking at those different stages in the life cycle of a transition, you know, how are we serving? How are we sacrificing? How are we sustaining? Let's look at those areas in the life cycle of a, a business or organization, or if you want to put it in secular terms, the pre-succession, the succession, and the post-succession. Let's do an audit and see, are our foundations strong enough yes. to sustain our organization long-term, or have we got some structural problems? Yes, that's right. Well, that's a great note to end on. So we want to encourage you, if you haven't yet got a copy of Paul's book, go to sacrificialsuccession.com and download it there. Well, Paul, I look forward to our discussion next week. I am really enjoying these times. It's really Thank great. you, Wes. Appreciate it.